Sonic Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 81. I shall be going out on the 3rd of April. That's Thursday, the 3rd of April 2008. Um, welcome to my guest this week. I've got, uh, it's a sort of equal match. We've got a couple from the other side of the pond and a couple from this side of the pond and one from here, which is me, obviously. Um, so let's start off by saying uh, hello to Mr. Richard Hilton from Connecticut. Good morning, everybody. How you doing, Richard? Very well, thank you. Very well. Great. Good to hear it. Had a good week? Good week. It's a beautiful day today after a few days of uh, rainy weather, and uh, I'm quite pleased this morning. I'm in a good mood. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I hope we can maintain it for you. No doubt. <laughs> uh, that's Mr. Rich Hilton, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Uh, for those of you who want to check out what he's been up to and take a look at him, get the measure of him. And also, uh, from stateside, we've got Mr. PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. PJ, you promised me a URL last week. Did you, uh, have you got it I ready did. for me? Uh, my URL, my URL is up. However, it is still under construction. Uh, uh, I've actually had to hire a guy to help me finish putting this thing together. Well, no um, pressure. I'm having trouble, uh, I'm having trouble encoding some audio into, into it. So, uh, next week. Cool, cool, cool. Well, PJ, how's your week been? I know you weren't with us last week. Um, I guess work commitments and time constraints uh, conspired against you. So yeah, um, you out of the woods now? Got a bit more time on your hands? Yeah, it's been busy, and that's good. Um, lots of lots of things happening right now. I've got I've got a client who's uh, ultra demanding, but in a good way. They're very good people to work for, so I'm I'm happy to happy to have them. Okay, and also we've got Mr. Mark Tinley. Hello. Mark Tinley, of course, myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley, all one word. Indeed. Ooh. Oh, there you go. You're back. Mark is sounding very fulsome. He, it's like a kind of fine edge, isn't it? Uh, you either sound kind of slightly less less quality if you use the Skype phone, but it's more stable, or really kind of quite manly and, uh, and, and very present with the Line 6, which you've got, but we do get the occasional bzzz, which is what we just heard there. I went to Scotland yesterday. Well, yesterday? What, in yeah. a day? I went in the morning and I came back in the evening, yeah, to collect my kids. But on the way back, we found some of those vibro chairs. You know, oh, the they have an airport. Yeah, 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 yeah. You put a pound in and, it's, and it vibrates for three minutes. But it was the most bizarre thing because it felt like it was trying, it felt like it had an anal intruder attached to it. It was massaging the underside of my bum. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was sitting in the seat and kind of going up and down. And so, and my son tried the one in, next to me, and that did the same thing. It was very, very bizarre. It did, kind uh, of grabs your legs so you can't get out the seat, and then it massages the underside of your bum, but in the middle. I was, it was a bit disconcerting. <laughs> did you, did you complain? <laughs> well, no. It was meant to be like that. I think. Where did you go get change? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wasn't unpleasant. I mean, it was just surprising. A bit kind of like, well, yeah, with the with the sort of homophobic mentality of the British people, surely they shouldn't have a machine that does this. No, I really. suppose not. Dear Mum, first day with Dad went very well. <laughs> <laughs> My we, daughter thought it was hilarious as well. But then that brings me to another question as well, because we were having a discussion, my partner and I, about fannies last week. Okay. And um, she said that in America, your fanny is your bum. That's true. Is this correct? That's true. You're behind or bottom. And in the, in, right. in the UK, it's not. It's your... Um, it's not. It's something else. Yeah. It, it's the bit in between your bum and your front bum. 
<laughs> if you're a lady. Exactly. Sorry, Mark. You've just you've only been on a few seconds, and you've already lowered the tone of the uh, of the conversation. Good lord! I'm not. I didn't lower it as far I as Dave Robinson. No, did I? No, that's true. It's anato- <laughs> I suppose it's anatomical. <sighs> oh, by the way, I'm um, speaking of Dave Robinson. Um, I heard back from Steve Hobley, uh, who's uh, been very uh, forthcoming about his um, his laser harp. You know, there was some some question as to whether or not it was okay or not, or whether it was a hoax. And uh, Steve wrote back. Stephen Day had a little bit of communication, and uh, I think the matter's been cleared up. We're we're saying it's true, and it was playing along with the uh, Equinox, the Rendezvous Part Two, but it wasn't exclusively that. Was it settled with pistols at dawn? Not quite. No, it was all very, done very amicably. Steve Hobley was uh, was 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 very amicable about it. He he actually left comments last week. I don't know if you saw it in the uh, in the comments, and just sort of said, "No, no, really, it was me, honest." So, I believe him. So, Steve, your name is cleared. Right, and finally, Mr. Dave Spears from G4 Software. Hello, Dave. G4Software.com, Dave. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Still in an incredibly quiet room, so I'm, I'm assuming the computer migration, you haven't had to go back on it. It's all working fine. Uh, I did have to fire up the old G5 very briefly to get a couple of things across, and it was horrible. The noise was just unbelievable. I can't believe I lived with it for so long. It's funny, isn't it, when that sort of thing happens, and you just kind of go, wow, did I, how did I not notice that it was so noisy? Mm. Yeah, it's very weird. I, I've, uh, I, you might notice the floor's a bit squeaky in here, because just before I, was, uh, I, I started the call, um, I turned and tipped a, a full cup of tea across my lap and onto the floor. <laughs> So the floor is now um, tea. Well, it's it's okay. I managed to kind of get off the worst of it. Fortunately, oh, uh, now I just feel a bit moist. That, of course, was the sound of the drumming robot, which um, I was I, I spotted on Music Thing blog, um, which was just absolutely brilliant. It's made by a guy called Fritz, who says it cost him 120 bucks and took him 20 hours, and he's got some bullet points of what it actually does, which is essentially it's a little robot on um, kind of caterpillar tracks, you know, um, uh, model caterpillar tracks. It navigates around, collects some data, avoids obstacles until it finds something worth playing on, like a single isolated object or wide flat surface. And then it sort of manoeuvres itself into place, plays some beats with kind of basically some appendages that it's got like two, three sticks, and then samples itself and then plays along with the rhythm it's been playing. And that's kind of it, really. Perhaps a bit more pointful than the, the, than the Furby, but uh, I thought it was really good. I absolutely loved it. I really I like it. the noise it makes. I've sampled it and I've made a track with it already. Have you? <laughs> I'll, send you I'll send you a link to it later on. <laughs> You can put the link in the show notes if you, Excellent. if you like. What a great idea, though. This guy's obviously just kind of... He he says that he... Um, basically, he doesn't like to sort of plan things. He just kind of grabs a load of stuff and goes, right, I'm going to make something, and it just turns out to be what it is. So it never he never knows what it's going to look like until he's finished it, which is kind of quite a nice organic way of doing things. But a bit, bit hit or miss. I've never got into robotery, but I've always sort of wanted to. As When you kind of... I mean, Dave, you're a, an animator, aren't you? You do kind of animation with your kids. 
there's a sort of similar vibe to it there. Have you ever kind of been tempted to go the robot route? No, too complicated. Is it? For me. Uh, this is, we do Playmobil. Playmobil, so that's it. Playmobil, right, okay. Which is easier than robots. Yes, I can imagine. But, I mean, you're a drummer <laughs> and, you're into, and you're into animation. Surely this has just got your name all over it. I like this a lot, actually. And it sounded musical. It did, didn't it? I mean, it was, what was really clever, he kind of gets the, the fact that it samples a bar of itself or a couple of bars, and then it still plays. And then everything it does, like the beginning and the end, you know, where it's kind of goes, it's all got a kind of tempo to it. Uh, and it's, that's what I quite like. And it, the, this is just it manoeuvring itself into place. And there's a whole bunch of videos on there, and obviously he's looking for somebody, you know, it says, any toy makers out there? You know, obviously he wants to try and sell it into into a wider market. It's okay. brilliant. I'd buy it, definitely. If that was on the market, I'd even pay $120 for that one. It's brilliant. Rich, how about you? Do you think it beats... I want one. You want one? Okay. So we've got three orders right here. <laughs> Straight away. So maybe we should just get in touch with him, because he put it together with a glue gun and a bunch of kind of little little bits and pieces. So really nice it's idea. It's brilliant. It's brilliant in almost every way. I mean, it's conceptually brilliant, and he executed it really well. I like the fact that it's got a sort of broken speaker on the top. I wonder what it would be like with a kind of real full-range speaker, and it really kind of kick it out. That would be pretty wild. Or you could it would maybe <coughs> trigger its own. It could trigger um, all sorts of other things as well. Oh, I love the idea of that. You could get some, like, uh, near-field monitors and s- sort of stick it on its back. <laughs> a and you'd of- go into the studio, and there'd be these near-field monitors, like, kind of <coughs> riding around on the floor, tapping on the walls and beating out rhythms. <laughs> Wouldn't be at all annoying, I shouldn't imagine. But just be like having a drummer in the room who's not playing, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> PJ, would this be... Can you see a place in your house for this? I remember being um, <clears throat> 10 years old and going into one of these thematic pizza joints and um, where you can play video games and roller skate, bowl. And in the corner is an animatronic band uh, composed mostly of bears and monkeys and gangly-looking chickens carrying guitars. And I remember thinking, um, I can't wait till they get real robots to play the music. And uh, I think it would be fun to watch a, a stage full of little gadgets like this actually jamming so yeah i'm i'm on board i'd, I'd love to have I'd be kind of funny I, I don't know if anyone's ever seen stomp the uh have anyone seen that the theater production mm. where they kind of yeah. do you know they bash on all various mm. things maybe you could just they could actually kind of put a show on the road that and get rid of all the people and just replicate it so you'd have more touring productions of stomp that just populated by robots Maybe they could combine combine stomp and robot wars have you ever seen that oh, uh, ro- robot? robot wars i'm a big yeah. fan of that yeah, Although, and you could put put screwdrivers and corkscrews on the front of these robots, and they could go at it while they're drumming. <laughs> lasers. Lasers and flamethrowers. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of went downhill in the UK, Robot Wars, because um, they, they got this guy commentating on it who, I think he used to do the darts or something, and he just got really excited, and it just made it a bit too sort of warfare, you know, whereas before it was a little more kind of uh, whimsical. Yeah. I suppose yeah, the, I, the, I like the clue's the in the title, though, isn't it, frankly? Yeah, Whoa. exactly. You knew it was going to become WWF SmackDown. Yeah, well, I was, I was trying to find out a bit more about Fritz, but I can't. All I know is that it's called Fritz. Uh, the one thing, there was a great comment on the Music Thing blog, um, which I thought was really fun, and he said, uh, kind of reminds me of a little Katie Tunstall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those of you who perhaps didn't get that gag, and by the sound of it, it's most of you, the uh, <laughs> Katie Tunstall kind of first came to um, came to our you know, onto our screens. She did a thing on uh, Jules Holland Later, which is a kind of the the only, effectively only kind of national live TV music program. 
and she played with uh like a, a a line six echo farm or something you know where she would overdub and just sound on sound so she was doing sort of various rhythms and whatever and just overdubbing and then she sang and it was that, that i can't remember what it was called the, the first track but that was all based on sort of looped echo things so there's the reference although now i've explained it it kind of ruins the gag so maybe we should just move on gibson seem to be getting themselves into the news again uh, not only have they just merged with tc electronic um i don't know if anyone saw that we did a little interview with one of the the kind of american ceo of tc electronic and he sort of explained a little bit about what it was because we were all thinking they bought them and they'd probably just um you know put them in a cupboard but in fact it's not like that it's they've just taken on some technological development which is a great idea but anyway now gibson uh seem to be suing uh the makers of rock band and guitar hero because they say um they had a patent which was filed nearly 10 years ago which required a 3d display a real musical instrument and a recording of a concert um in fact it details a method for using instruments to simulate a live performance and provides a 3d headset and they're suing kind of everybody because it turns out that um activision who I believe are the makers of both of those, have um, managed to accrue almost a billion dollars in revenue. So everybody's sniffing around to see if they can get a piece of it. Um, <laughs> Gibson not being the first. But the thing is, Gibson also um, licensed their kind of guitar shapes um, to the game. You know, So you can have Gibson-shaped guitars in both Guitar Hero and uh, Guitar and Rock Band. So it all seems like a terrible mire. Rich, I know you've got some, some. Have you got guitar heroes or rock bands in your house? Uh, guitar hero gets. I, I can see two controllers right from where I'm sitting. Are, not, are they Gibson type guitars? Uh, one of them is an SG style guitar. Ah. Yes, indeed. Uh, obviously, they're complicit in their own doom. But the thing that interests me about this is, according to the quote, the original patent calls for a head mounted 3D display that includes stereo speakers by which musicians can simulate a concert using an instrument. And that's not at all what Guitar Hero is. So I'm going to be interested to see to what extent they're having included the head-mounted part in their original patent uh, comes back to bite them on the buttocks. On the fan, even. Yeah, for example. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> nice link there. Nice link there, Mark. I've never played it, but I've seen it at a lot of trade shows. I mean, people seem to kind of get really, you know excited i i just know because as soon as soon as you go to anywhere on a trade show there's people sort of going to come up and watch you and i just i know i'd make a complete idiot of myself Has it, have you ever played it mark no i've never even seen it actually <laughs> i've seen it in woolworths but i've never actually seen it switched on no oh well what about you dave yeah have you got it you've got no. it haven't you you play it no. every day no, 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 good lord. No, but I do frequent game shops quite a lot, and uh, it's being used all the time. In fact, I saw that... Uh, what's interesting about this as well is that, don't forget, um, MTV acquired Harmonix, who made Guitar Hero, and that was a $175 million acquisition. So you've got that, plus a billion dollars of revenue. Doesn't that make it like one of the biggest selling games ever? I mean, because it's not cheap either, either, because you've got to buy the hardware with it, right? I don't think it's very expensive. I think it's That's about 80 bad. quid, isn't it? Is yeah. it? But the, mm, but the rock rock band version is a bit more expensive, isn't it? Because that's got a full, yeah, full thing. Yeah, so you could buy a real guitar for eighty quid. I don't understand. Right, right. Yeah, but you then know, you have to learn to play it. Yeah. Well, exactly. you don't, do you? I no, mean, right. no, you could just <laughs> can plug it in and make loads of noise with it. It's far more fun. 
it's kind of like this is kind of like karaoke the next level does does this i mean does i've because i have no experience of this does this actually would this make you would it make pl- taking up a guitar and learning to play it uh, more easier or more familiar if you were getting into guitar hero i think it might improve your rhythm i think so rich have you noticed any improvement in your kids guitar playing since they've been playing guitar hero my kids both play a lot of music, but neither one is a guitar player. I think it's a deterrent to people putting in the effort to have to play guitar. But that said, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that and the benefits of involving more people in some sort of ritualistic pretending to play music is a good thing. And in other words, it doesn't bother me. As video games go, it doesn't bother me really, but I do think it makes kids less likely to put in all of that time but on the other hand maybe it'll make more kids want to play the guitar i don't know i sit here with a guitar in my hand while they're over there at the tv and i jam along with what's going on you know i just i can't to me that's much more rewarding than pressing buttons in response to little dots flying at you on a screen it's funny isn't it because um that whole kind of air guitar thing was sort of real ridiculed and it became i think that what didn't they run air guitar um yearly championships in finland for a while and now it's become kind of a, an international event via mtv mm. you're getting the same thing but because it's it's somehow linked to a game i mean it's still essentially the same thing it's just not quite as air as before because you've got a piece of plastic in your hand but it's, you're still it's almost kind of it's made air guitar more socially acceptable do you think pj have you been exposed to this i have um i played rock band for the first time about a month ago um i have a good friend who writes for PC World magazine here in the States and also Variety. Um, he does a, a daily blog for PC World on the gaming industry and reviews games for Variety. And I, I was discussing this very issue with him. And um, he's read the patent. And appar- apparently how this goes is Harmonix, as Dave said, who created um, both Guitar Hero and Rock Band, was acquired by MTV uh, and when they were acquired by MTV, they released Rock Band. Activision bought Guitar Hero <clears throat> and released Guitar Hero 3. So there's two separate companies that, that Gibson is going to wind up right. attempting to sue here. And according to the patent, which um, my friend has read, he seems to think that they're going to have an awful hard time um, getting any money out of these companies because their patent is all of a piece. It's not separate patents, patenting aspects of the game creation and their system as described in the patent is so very different from what either of those games are that that and their like you said them being complicit in the the two previous games is going to make it you know they, they seem to have a pretty cozy relationship chip previously to this lawsuit with both these companies it might be very difficult for them to get money from them but you know who knows players are players are crafty it seems like a kind of it, it's one of it seems to be one of the gibson kind of business strategies isn't it it's to sort of sit on ip intellectual property and then just kind of jump out jump out from the cupboard when it's worth something yeah hmm. i thought what i thought was interesting guitar hero a beatles edition is a distinct possibility as well that's the rumor that's going around oh, really so what you'll get a kind of um, what a rickenbacker and a and a and a fender what's it a honer bass well I imagine a few beatles tunes you could just see it, can't you? You know, th- th- this could just go on forever, couldn't it? They could release different versions of Guitar Hero controllers and have, like, really high-quality ones and stuff. You know, you end up in these, in the kind of, the, the luthier-made <laughs> made versions, the wooden ones. That would be bizarre, wouldn't it? Here in the States, Rock Band is beginning to apparently usurp karaoke in a lot of the bars. Is that um, right? 
Yeah. Well, in that case, they're bound to need higher quality um, controllers for this stuff. So you're going to end yeah. up with people like Yamaha and Roland presumably building stuff for for live use. Because, I mean, if you get a couple of drunk guys pissing around on, on essentially something that's built for kids to play in the front room, it's not going to last very long, is it? So you're going to need no. some kind of high-power controllers. There's a market there. Come on, gang, let's go and design some. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that sounds fun. I'm going to make mine look exactly like a Les Paul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, why not? Why not? It's got to be worth a try. At least we might get in the press. Yeah, Mark, help me. You haven't said anything. I think when I was 16 years old, I had a very, very loud guitar that I couldn't play, and I just, my, my, my uh, solution to not being able to play it rather than go for something with buttons that was all preset and everything was to buy more fuzz boxes and that. So uh, can I say that? I think that's a very good thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first record you bought? Because I thought it might kind of give a little insight into um, into what makes us tick. And I'd just like to go first because um, I'm, I'm not sure that it's such a good idea. I do, but my, I think my first album was probably Aerosmith Live, which was a double album. And the first single was You're the One That I Want from Greece. Excellent. <laughs> Nearly not, as bad as mine. <laughs> I'm not sure. That's, I mean, the first record I had bought for me was Junior Hits, which featured a lot of um, songs from Rolf Harris, including Messing About on the River, um, Court King Caractacus. Two Little Boys? Yeah, oh, that one. That's a, an absolute classic, of course. Corker. I think the first record I ever had was uh, Winnie the Pooh and Children's Stories records. So I'm not going to count that. No. Okay. And then for, I think, maybe my seventh birthday, my parents bought me, um, they bought me Metal Guru by wow. T-Rex and Goodbye to Jane by Slade, I think. Oh. But I really wanted um, uh, Telegram Sam and Cause I Love You, but... Oh, well, that's close, isn't it? So I had some money left, and and Cuz I Love You is brilliant, because it's got that kind of reggae guitar feel to it, and all those weird Russian bits, and the the violin and everything. Slade, yeah. Yeah, didn't they use that on a big uh, TV ad campaign in the UK quite recently? I can't remember what it was for, but I remember the music. And really good reverb as well. The drums are in this really kind of big space, and the, the reverb on the claps is massive. It's quite, yeah, I seem to remember it's quite an unusual sounding, sounding tune. But what I, I, so I had some birthday money as well. So I went out and I bought from this weird little shop in Limington where I was brought up, which smelt odd. And there was an old lady in there with a huge beehive who also smelt odd. I bought the new Seekers. What have they done to my song? Wow, where did that come from? That's just so left field compared to... I don't America. know. Because I think I thought I was buying the Coca-Cola one, and then I got, look what you've done to our song, Ma. I remember Instead. that one. Yep, yep. How disappointing. So the B-side had something on it, but I actually can't remember what it was. I, I played the B-side more than the A-side, but it was very disappointing because it was all of my pocket money from my birthday, I think. And, and that was that. went on this terrible record, yeah. The guy, Roger Cook, actually, uh, who co-wrote I'd Like to Teach the World, teach the world to Sing, um... Is from Bristol, funnily enough. Yeah. And Uh, his nephew is Neil Davidge, who is the producer of Massive Attack. And I remember, because I used to work with Neil Davidge um, quite some time ago, um, when we were both struggling, and I met his uncle, and he's a really funny, he's a very unusual chap, because he's kind of got a really broad Bristol accent, sort of, but it's got a Nashville twang to it, because it's 
you know, he's been living in Nashville for such a long time, writing, you know, he's a professional songwriter. And he's the guy, he, he was one of the first kind of guys to go off the rails and drive the Rolls Royce into the swimming pool. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> Excellent. When I was about seven years old, I had a picture of Slade on my wall, probably around the same time, actually. And I used to look at this picture and I'd sort of dream of the day when I was going to be a pop star myself and I'd have all these girlfriends and things. And I just sort of, when I got bored of them, I'd throw them out the door of the Rolls Royce and I'd drive the Rolls Royce into things and crash it. When I got bored of it, I'd go and buy another one. Of course, none of this has ever happened, but <laughs> it's probably a good better thing. Off, better off in your own head. Rich, did Slade, <laughs> did Slade ever make it over to, uh, to the States? I can't remember whether they were big in the States. Um, I had a friend who was a huge Slade fan and who has since actually met Naughty Holder. It was a watershed moment in his life. Wow. Uh, Did he get him to go, it's Christmas? <laughs> you see, no, I wasn't there. So <laughs> that's funny, though. It certainly didn't have that kind of impact for me. But uh, I know those for whom it did. You were more of a kind of jazz guy, from what I can gather. What was you? So, wh- where where was your first? Where did your first recorded purchase lie? The first music I recall receiving that I had asked for was the first Beatles album, which in America was known as Meet the Beatles. Um, the first music I recall hearing that made a huge impact on me, and this goes back, I mean, I was really young, because my parents recognized that I was interested in music very early, and so I began to get records to listen to and stuff, and I used to listen to what they used to listen to. And an absolute defining moment for me was hearing uh, a classical recording I had of two particular piano pieces. One was the Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven, and the other was Chopin's Prelude Number no. Four in E Minor. And those two those two pieces of music remain among my favorites in my entire I life. I love Moonlight. I love Moonlight Sonata. You know, it wasn't called Moonlight Sonata till right. about thirty years after his death, or something. Uh huh. He didn't write it called, with that with that title. Somebody else called it that later. A journalist, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh no! It's a didn't brilliant, know. brilliant piece yeah. of music. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. That's funny because I, now I, I think about it. I remember um, the, perhaps the classical music that um, had a big effect on me. There was uh, an album, Pictures at an Exhibition, which is Prokofiev and Mussorgsky, and mm-hmm. I think it was really big because it was in it was in one of those kind of Julie Christie movies from the sixties. I think it might have been in Don't Look Now or mm, can't remember now, but I do remember Night on Bear Mountain. I don't know why that sticks but, in my mind, but uh, it does. Bald, ma- bald Mountain. Oh, Night on Bald Mountain. As, <laughs> as the follically challenged <laughs> might recall. Well, looking at myself in the mirror and you and your Skype photo, I can see that we have a, have a kind of bond over that particular record, perhaps. Dave Spears, your turn. Uh, um, first record I bought was I'm the Urban Spaceman by the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Oh, cracking. And I, th- and I think it was because those double-track flutes sounded like some kind of new fangled synthesizer. And the first album I bought was Jeff Loves Big War Movie Themes. Oh, really? <laughs> Is that Jeff Love and his orchestra? Yes. The television orchestra. Yeah, and I had everything. Dam Busters, 633 Squadron, Bridge Over the River, Kauai. And in fact, my wife said that she used to march around the room to the Dam Busters when she was a kid. So there you go. It was, it was marriage made in heaven. Oh, wow. Do you still, do you still, when the, when the kids are out, when the, when the kids are out staying, do you put it on and, and march around together? 
No, but it's a very good idea. I think we might do that. Spice up our love life a bit. (laughs) (laughs) PJ, you're now going to embarrass us all by saying something that's a lot more recent. I don't don't think this is necessarily true. Oh, thank Um, God for that. (laughs) The very first album that I remember receiving, and I was very, very young, um, was Paul McCartney's band On The Run. And my mom... um, has a memory uh and and i vaguely recall saying this to her i i asked her how they made the noises that were that result in linda mccartney's moog solo in that song and uh she said they have these gigantic expensive electronic organs and i told my mom i want to own one of those someday <laughs> and i've owned several since um the first album i remember buying is the beatles white album and kind of in a turn of uh, symmetry, that was also the first compact disc I bought. So you had a cool mum. Because when I was about six or seven, I remember seeing Jimi Hendrix on television on a little black and white in the corner. And I was kind of like, what's this? What's this? And they were like, go to bed. It's bedtime. You're not watching this. So I never got to really see it. I just got <laughs> to see the sort of maybe the opening of like Purple Haze or whatever it was that was on. <laughs> Wonder what TV. that was. Was that Isle of Wight? Did they televise Isle of Wight? Was that it, possibly? No, it was earlier than that. Maybe I was four, four or five. I was really little. I've seen film of uh, Top of the Pops and old Grey Whistle Test stuff, so it might have been that. My mom was about fourteen when the Beatles hit here in in the states. So yeah, she you know she came up on that on that stuff, and and so when I. Uh, when I was very young, I, I grew up, you know, I grew up listening to that stuff. And as a matter of fact, I carried that Paul McCartney and the Wings record around with me wherever I'd go. I mean, I, I, it never left my side. I had it everywhere. I brought it to show and tell. That's cute. <laughs> oh, Isn't that cute? Isn't that sweet? <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, Tapestry quite a lot, Car- the Carol King one. Yeah. And, uh, and rather embarrassingly, Steel Eye Span. Oh, come on. That's fine. Well, I suppose it is. <laughs> But my yeah, mum, my mum went all, my, all around my hat. Yeah, yeah, I like them. I don't know why. I've got a soft spot. But my mum actually went to see the Beatles in Bath Pavilion, which is about I don't know eight hundred yards from where my office is at the moment. Oh, wonderful! My mum uh, went on her fifteenth, I think her fifteenth birthday with her sister. My um, my great aunt Colette had this uh, tradition of taking um, each of my mother's siblings in turn to Chicago for a weekend um, from Minneapolis, which is about a, an eight-hour drive, and uh, tour all the museums, see all the sites, stay there for the weekend. My mom is the fifth of seven children, and uh, my Aunt Kathy is a, year, a little over a year younger than her, so they, they both went. They were kind of inseparable when they were kids. And they were staying, I, d- I don't know what hotel it was, but somewhere in, in downtown Chicago. And um, they ran into Sonny and Cher in the elevator. Cool. And Sonny and Cher asked my, my mom and her sister if they were going to go see the Beatles because they were playing that night in Chicago. And, and they said, no, you know, we, we, we don't have tickets. But they were you know, ecstatic over the fact that they were even in the same city. And Sonny and Cher said, come back to our hotel suite. So they, they went back to Sonny and Cher's hotel suite with them, watched them give a radio interview, and Sonny and Cher gave them tickets to the Beatles show. Wow. Yeah. Superb. Wow. Yeah. That's a really cool thing. How exciting. God, you'd never get away with that these days, would you? You'd just be thought, no, no, you, you know, bringing bring three young young people back to your hotel room, even if it was kind of for purposes that were, you know, 
entirely above board. You just wouldn't risk it in case you got sued. Yeah. Oh, the age of innocence. There's a problem with that? Well, I don't know. I haven't spent that much time on the road myself, but, you know, one can Just get kidding. bored, I'm I've kidding. heard. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this, might, this might be an interesting time to mention that at the end of the month, I expect to be playing three monkeys songs in public. Oh, really? Is that some Ooh. kind of penance, or is that a special sort of thing you're doing? <laughs> yes. And anything yes, off the of my head, Rich? I've been a very bad man, a very bad boy. Uh, no, uh, each year, uh, Nile Rogers has a foundation that has a gala f- fundraising evening, and uh, this year's, and they typically come in April towards the end, and this year's, one of the guests is uh, Mickey Dolenz of the Monkees, and I uh, expect we're going to be playing some songs with him. Oh, cool. He's actually, of all the Monkees, he's the one who looks almost exactly the same, but not sort of cosmetically enhanced. He's actually aged really, really well, hasn't he? From what I remember. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. <laughs> I don't know. So how how long a show do you have to play? Is it like a, just a kind of short thing? And a- well, with with each with any given guest, it'll be I don't know three or four songs at most. Um, but the the total amount of time we'll play will be somewhere about an hour or a little less. It won't be terribly. It won't be a full chic show with all of that as well because yeah, yeah, sure. there are other things going on. There is auctions and there's a lot of speeches being made and it's a it's an evening of of sit-down entertainment for the for the We Are Family Foundation, so we just kind of play a small portion of it. Excellent. That sounds really good. In another awesome. job-related note, I've just completed 20 years with Nile Rogers. Wow. Rogers. Well done. Great. Does that mean, do you get some kind of, um, I don't know, something? <laughs> yes. I got a gold USB cable. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Should have gone for Firewire, though, really. Yeah, right. I wrote a little blog on it in the, on the uh, MySpace page, actually. All right, well, there you go. You head over and have a look. Right. So my mum was into the Stones and the Beatles and all that stuff, but her brother was in quite a lot of bands. She's quite a major influence on me, and um, he looked exactly like Andrew Gold. So I used to tell all my mates that he was Andrew Gold. <laughs> <laughs> I used to get the pictures out of, um, was it Pop Swap or something, that magazine? There'd be a big sort of life-size poster in the centre, wouldn't it? I used to get those pictures. This is a terrible admission, actually. I'm almost embarrassed <laughs> to say. I used to get the pictures out of the magazine, and we had this weird conservatory at the back of our house, and I used to tape them up on the other side of the glass, and then I'd take a picture with the Polaroid camera of me standing in front of the person or whatever, and then I'd take the pictures to school and say, oh, David Cassidy came round our house last night. <laughs> That's super. How embarrassing is that? Oh, that's really. Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. That's brilliant. What a fantastic idea. Brilliant. <laughs> Did anyone believe you? Uh, not really, no, because they probably got this. They probably got the pop swap with exactly the same picture. <laughs> you saying about Slade, Mark? Yeah, I, I had literally all their records and i used to play this game with my sister that whenever i got a slade single on the uh, polydor label i hasten to add um that she would have to pretend to be the a and r man and sh- and i'd be the- i'd be noddy holder out of slade and she'd go that's a fantastic record i think we'll release it <laughs> <laughs> wow this is going far deeper than i ever intended it to did you, did you guys realize that mike nesmith of the monkeys is the heir to the fortune of the woman his mother who uh developed liquid paper whiteout Yes. Oh really? No. Oh, yeah. 
Wow, Tipex. Yeah, yeah Tipex it's called here. And the Monkees, uh, Jimi Hendrix opened for them on one of his initial tours, I believe. The rumor yes. is he quit. He quit because he just no, he couldn't take couldn't take watching the kind of the vaudevillian show that they had. That they had. Sonic Talk, sponsored by Yamaha Music Production, producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles, accurate professional studio monitoring systems, incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos, the versatile motif range of music production synthesizers, and the latest N-series digital mixing studios, featuring the cleanest signal pump and full Cubase AI4 integration www.yamahasynth.com Sonic Tour. So our next our next topic is uh, this came from Bartle Hogard, who is um, a regular kind of topic contributor and demonstrates the fact that if you do write in, we will listen to you mostly. And Bartle has sent us a couple of things before, and this one is um, concerning something called MP3ornot.com. And what it basically is is uh, a little like flash application all is a single page thing where you get two clips one's um an mp3 recorded at 100 and, is it 160 kbps and the other one is 320 and this simple thing is can you tell the difference rich did you get a chance to listen yeah i did i ha- i got it wrong did you and yeah but i had a pr- i don't like his example uh in, in other words i think it's not a particularly instructive portion of music from which to evaluate this no that's true it's very um it's it's not terribly complex i suppose i need something with a high frequency transient um i need you know what i mean i need a little more uh, time to evaluate the ambience than i've got but to me the difference between 128 and 320 mp3 is much less than the difference between either of those and a full fidelity piece of music so if they had perhaps given me the original wave file to against which to compare it, I think it also would have been a little bit fairer. I just think that the test itself is is not wasn't particularly to my liking, but I but I didn't get it right. And it's not a sort of qualitative thing, but I think the, the idea is it sort of throws up the kind of can you you know does it make a difference that would that would affect you in everyday life? I suppose. Yeah, so but play me a, that play me a marimba in the back anything. of the. Mark, how about you? Well, I really surprised my daughter. Because she was sitting next to me, and I clicked the wrong button on the web page, and it said, congratulations, Clip A has indeed the best sound quality. And she said, how do you know that? You haven't even listened to it. So, unfortunately, <laughs> I knew the answer before I listened to them. But having listened to the both of them several times very carefully, um, I don't think I would have got it. And Rich is absolutely spot on with what he said, because this piece of music is going to encode with MP3 well anyway, because there's nothing in there. There's a a tenor singing, a bit of brass in the background, and a croquette playing. No, that's a potato. Um, (laughs) What are those things? (laughs) Clinky things. And that's it. Now, if you want to test your MP3, and also, I think if they made the 128k BPS joint stereo... The stereo image will collapse, but you'll get less of the artifacts that, that you get from MP3, which is how iTunes kind of encode everything, because they kind of get away with the artifacts thing by, you know, joining anything in the middle that will join. But um, right, if you take, going back to Jimi Hendrix, what a link. 
<laughs> if you take Angel by Jimi Hendrix, the opening section of Angel has a lot of tape hiss. It has two different types of cymbal playing. If you encode that with any MP3 encoder, it sounds weird because you get that kind of the bell, the bell effect on all the filters happening and everything's kind of... Yeah, it's trying to... Because yeah. so, the, the, the tape hiss itself is like probably a lot of frequencies of white noise at a level which it thinks it has to encode plus all those symbols happening. And I defy anybody to make that sound as good as the original WAV with any MP3 encoding. And Rich, again, is absolutely right. The difference between 128 and 320 is negligible, whereas the difference between 320 and the original WAV, you're throwing away an awful lot of data, more than... More than three quarters of it. I think because I mean we were, we've been asking. I mean I encoded I encoded all my recent you know CD library encoding at three twenty, um, and I think you know that's considered to be a, a, a good place to start if you're going to do it that way. I know Dave. How about you? Did you uh, did you take a listen? I did, yeah, and I did get it. If you'd have asked me two weeks ago with the old G five, I probably wouldn't have got it because <laughs> <laughs> of the noise, background noise. Yeah, uh, but I could hear the high end transients. And that's mm. what gave it away for me. I, mm. I, the, the reason I got it is because there was distortion in the very last portion of the, of the, the sort of B-grade sample to my ears. So it just sounded like it was breaking up and it couldn't handle it as, as well as the, the first clip. And the surprise, I, I emailed uh, Jan Schneiders, who's the guy behind it, and he's actually a 17-year-old kid from, uh, from Holland. And um, mm. he's, he's a bit of a web entrepreneur. He's, uh, he's done uh, sites called Profit42.com, and also another site called OS86, the free suite, which is kind of a OS10 kind of tips and tricks. I said I asked him why he needed to do it, and he said he's he's heard, you know to his experience, a lot of people say there's a huge difference between 320 and and 128. So there's also a large group saying there isn't any difference at all, and here the difference wasn't huge. He tested it out of curiosity and that thought it wasn't really there. He thought it'd be a nice challenge to both groups to see what they thought. And obviously, hmm. he's put an ad on there, so he hopefully he's you know making a few quid out of it. He's a bit of a smart kid. So he that, should redo the test with the opening section of that Jimi Hendrix track, Angel. Well, then maybe that's an idea because I agree it wasn't very complex and it was hard to listen to. So it, it was almost it was a test. It was a sort of test of both things. It was a test of being able to kind of can you tell with given given the example, and also I suppose could you tell anyway? And he said when when people are really listening to the songs on regular computer spe- speakers and aren't distracted, they can hear the difference though. They still find the capabilities of 120k 8k BPS impressive. While it is possible to hear the difference from the beginning of the song, most people tend to hear it when the cymbals start playing, which is kind yes. of what you were saying. Not that there yeah. are many cymbals in this particular. You have to teach. You have to teach people how to hear this, how to hear the encoding artifacts, because unless you point it out to someone, they're not. They're kind of blind to it because they're just listening to the song, aren't they? I mean, we, we all listen to music and we dissect all the different frequencies and all the different you know, parts and me- probably musically as well and, and don't listen to stuff in the same way as other people. Other people listen to music like it is in the background, I think. Yeah. And when well, you I start also- pointing out to someone, my, my girlfriend couldn't tell you if there was a flute or a guitar in a track, but I have to point, she's, and she's doing a university course and had a whole section on the Beatles in it and I had to use a whole load of filtering stuff and try and teach her to discern between different musical instruments. So... I mean, and she's probably more your average listener, so... Right. Well, the one thing he does say, which is kind of interesting, is, you know, he's, he's, he knows that well, well-known artists finalise their songs on regular, or regu- for, for regular radio 
and speakers, so they sound good on relatively cheap equipment, but they don't sound very good on more impressive stuff. That's probably true. Yeah. Hey, can I just say something about uh, about mixing things on to sound good on cheap speakers? I just finished mixing an album. Oh, I heard about that. Is this the guy that does one a month? Yep. A man called Sean Wright. He's released 144 songs in a year. Jeez. And I've just done his la- I've produced his last album, actually. All the rest of them he's recorded, uh, written, recorded, and produced himself. This one, I've added some rather nice synthesizers from GeForce on there, actually. <laughs> and, um, and I've mixed it. And uh, I must admit, at the end of it, I did gloss it up a bit and try and make it sound so that it would, like, blow your socks off if you played it on a computer. And I didn't pay as much attention to how it sounded on my monitors although it does still sound good but it sounds amazing in the car so i must have got it vaguely right I so guess. you pleased with it did you find that the kind of time constraints made it a kind of uh, how did that affect the experience did it i mean because i know you like to work fast anyway did it kind of did you find it challenging or was it straightforward uh yeah i found it very challenging because i was doing it in the evening and did quite a lot of it in the evening with headphones on um because the baby had gone to sleep and i couldn't do it in the day apart from when I took him to the play barn. So I did do some of it at the play barn with headphones on. Um, uh, Am I pleased with it? I feel kind of amazed at the completion of it so that I've actually managed to mix and record uh, and, you know, bring, bring 12 songs up from a one demo level to a sort of a produced record level in little over a month. But then at the same time, I can hear so many bits that I really wish I'd had more time to fix or adjust or whatever. So there's so many compromises on there. I'm sort of like going, ouch, God, I put that out a bit fast, didn't I, or whatever. So the picky side of me wants to, like, pick it apart more and go back and spend, you know, 10 hours fixing all the S's on the vocal or whatever, making sure that each S has a slightly different DS so that, some of the S's drop out in places I've noticed and stuff like that. But right. So that does sound good. Yeah. I think it's good. So where Sorry. can we hear it and when? Where and when? You can actually download it from Last FM. If you go, uh, if you go to Last FM and type in Sean Wright, which is spelled S E A N W R I G H T. In fact, I can give you a link in the show notes, can't yes, I? And the album do. is called War No More. Fantastic. Well, we'll do that. Um, and speaking of other albums. Do you see the, See what I did there? Yep. <laughs> That's clever. <laughs> oh, I sometimes amaze myself even. I'm just going to play you a little piece from Gary Kibler. Those of you who know that, um, I have, I did edit it a little bit, but that whole thing is made on a uh, cool chaosolator, um, just live basically, and um, that was the something that I took from the the YouTube recording 
uh, he did, he does a live performance on YouTube just you know showing how he did that particular track and that's one of the tracks on the album the album is called the yellow album the yellow album thank you very much there dave and what was uh, what i thought was really funny he he sent me some notes i i think some of you might have got those when i sent them out that uh, he he said it it took him about 10 days to do that and um during that time he was involved with his in-laws were visiting during the holidays so i guess it must have been over christmas and uh, he says um if the image of me sitting on the sofa wearing my headphones creating an album with my chaosolator in the middle of a family visit sounds incredibly rude, I should preface this by saying they're all Russian. My wife's family, her parents and brother and cousin aren't. They're all really nice people. They don't speak a word of English and I don't speak any Russian at all. So that was, her, that was the way he dealt with it. But it still, it still seems um, like an, an unusual pastime while your family are visiting. But that was the result. What did, you, did anyone listen to it? What did you think? Like. Like a lot, yeah. actually. There are limitations. The whole thing is played on the Chaosolator. You couldn't, you know, sing along with it. He didn't, you know, all of that stuff is stuff that's basically playable and then recorded in the the loops. The whole thing is two bar loops essentially, and then recorded over it live. I think on that one, the melody was played on top as a sort of final point. I like so, the sound of the final melody. Yeah, it's, it's got a really reminds unusual. Reminds me of the Dalai Lama. Yes, yeah. there, there is. I oh, know yeah, exactly yeah. what you're it's saying. The Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama, yeah, that's a, that um, sort of phonetic, vowel phonetic um, yodeling plug-in. Is that right? Would that be a good yeah. way of describing it? Yeah. yeah, I think one of the presets on the Chaos Lighter does that. Well, it clearly does. I imagine this guy sitting on the bench at the play bar next to Tinley with his, well, Tinley's mixing <laughs> Sean Wright. That would be cool, And the actually. guy with the Tenorion next to them. Yeah, or the guy with the mini Chaos Pad. Yeah. Uh. But uh, I'm, I know this sounds like an incredible plug for Korg, but it's in part of our sort of series. I mean, I was try- what I've been trying to do is kind of get people to send in music that has something unusual about it or whatever so that we can have a listen to it and then discuss. I mean, obviously, there's not much else we can do apart from say it was made with a co-oscillator, so there's no kind of gear, porn, and uh, dissection we can make of the sort of um, the technical aspects of it. But um, just the sort of, I suppose you could call this a concept album. That would be fair, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said, actually, that... Um, because I asked him a couple of questions. I was asking whether, you know, his uh, Norman Fairbanks Tenorion album, which was released after the, done entirely on the Yamaha Tenorion, whether that was any inspiration. He said, no, he didn't realise he created over 30 tracks in the first few weeks with it and he wanted to do something with it. So that was basically his... What happens after you've run out of ideas on one of those things, though? Um, so presumably he's going to use all... You can't make your own sounds on it, can you? So he's going to get to the point where he's heard all the presets and had all the ideas he's likely to have around well, no, those I, I suppose I suppose that's true, at least for a certain point. I mean, I guess the thing is that then you start to integrate it with your other equi- equipment and you don't limit yourself just, just through using a single piece of equipment. You know, you can... Chaosolator 2. Yeah, that's right. They call bring out another one and you just do this... The sequel. The, the sequel, that's right. A sampling one or whatever, yeah. Maybe so. A sampling one. Yeah, I want a sampling one. I have one of those. Well, that sort you of samples, t- but it samples itself. It doesn't sample anything else, yeah. I suppose. You could duct tape a mini chaos pad to the back of the chaosolator, and then you'd have a super chaosolator. Yeah, <laughs> well, funny you should say that, but when I first saw the chaosolator, I shot a video at uh, the BMF, the British Music Fair. I'm not, I can't remember now, and it was the chat from Korg, and he was wandering around. He had just had um, a chaosolator and a mini chaos pad sort of taped to a piece of wood with a mini oh. amp strapped on and he was just walking around and one and he had a, a cd feeding into the mini K, mini chaos pad and then the chaos later he was playing alongside it and it was you know more than enough to provide just hours and hours of things i would imagine 
but yeah, I, I thought that was kind of cool, and I just wanted to kind of give Gary, Gary Kibler a heads up because it's kind of quite. It's done very well for him. Apparently, he's, he's downloaded loads of it, so um, it's obviously a good way, at the very least, a good way of kind of telling people about a piece of equipment. And he should have sold it, I suppose. Wouldn't that make sense? Well, he needs to start performing it. That's that, because he's not going to sell it, is he? Oh, that's a good idea. So he'll go out, go out live. For, uh, the only way to release music now is to give it away, surely. So. He needs to go out live, yeah. So if he does a uh, worldwide stadium tour, he'll start to recoup a little bit of the expense of the uh, initial outlay for the Chaosolator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a good idea. Well, Gary, um, thank you very much for sending that in, and um, thanks for giving us a little bit of insight of how it was put together. And I hope your Russian relatives will, will come again. <laughs> that's all for this week and um i'd just like to say thanks to you to all my guests um first of all dave spears from g4software.com thank you very much for joining us thank you yeah good glad to have you aboard uh mr mark tinley thank you for hanging in there is your son watching cars again or have you found him a new dvd i've got more sons this week ah so they look after each other i've got claudia here i've got brandon here brandon and easter watching cars together because brandon wanted to watch it I uh, don't know. I think Claudia's on MSN actually because I bought her a laptop for Christmas, so she's glued to her laptop and they're uh, watching cars, so. eating up all the bandwidth. Yeah, well, probably. Maybe that's why it keeps glitching. Maybe I have to go and have a word with her. Well, we uh, we've met Claudia. I think she she yeah, appeared yeah. on one of the podcasts, didn't she? Yes. Well, say hello to her from to, from I will. us. So I'm going to be helping her with some music this week because she's written a new song. So maybe by next week, well, she'll still be here next Wednesday. So if we've got a new song by next Wednesday, we'll play it to you. Okay, fantastic. Uh, Mr. Rich Hilton from Connecticut, uh, thank you for joining us. Great fun as always. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to the uh, charity concert that you're doing at the end of the month with uh, Mr. Nile Rogers. That's going to be fun. Keep us posted. I will. Thank you. And PJ Tracy, Minneapolis, um, we're looking forward to your URL when it's ready. Uh, thanks. I'm always amazed at the depth and the breadth of this conversation. Thank yes, you. we've we've covered our childhoods now. I wonder what else there is to do. Maybe we'll go back to regressive therapy for uh, for another one. We'll do a special. Who we, who we were in past who we, lives. Who we were in past lives, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll see if I can work something up. Uh, can I interrupt there? I've got a very good friend who's a past life regressionist who we could um, we could bring on board to do that, actually. Well, that sounds a bit terrifying. <laughs> I'm, not sure. I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Maybe we'll, we'll wait till episode 99 or 100 or something. It would have to, it would have to be issue... Minus one, wouldn't it, to be... Um, <laughs> yeah, not Minus, yeah, well, yeah, that's true, wouldn't it? Maybe we'll do a why, special... why is everybody always somebody famous in a past life? I think there must, she there did, must I have... I did been. have some past life regression, and I didn't have anyone famous in mine at all. I was a little girl called Julie, and I fell down a mine shaft in the war. Blimey. Oh, I know. I was in a warehouse... I think I was called Julie. I can't remember. It was quite a long time ago I had this done. But I was in a warehouse and there was a kind of a big shaft that went down all the floors and I was trying to get this stray cat and I was trying to feed this or feed this stray cat. I was a little girl and I fell down this shaft and died. Oh, no. I know. Mark, you better crazy. start telling us otherwise you're going to go into character and start crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But thanks very much for the offer, Mark. So, guys... Thank you for joining us. That's the end of Sonic Talk number 81. 
And remember, guys and gals, if you want to um, get involved, send us an email, send us any ideas for topics, or if you've got any feedback, you can either leave them in the comments section for each of the episodes, or you can email us, or you can record something and send it in as an MP3, or you can phone us on Skype. Our handle is Sonic Talk. We've got an answer phone there. You can leave us a message. Or if you want to ring us, uh, we've got a Skype in number in the US, which is... 001 if you're outside the US 312-376-8289 that's 312-376-8289 that's calls into the US that's all for now thanks for listening